Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Tech and Mental Health Podcast. Today, we have Dr. David Wenberg from Quartet Health. Quartet has become a leader for innovation in the mental health space, and we're excited to have them on. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. This is David Recupero with the Tech and Mental Health Podcast. We have an exciting podcast today with David Wenberg of Quartet Health. David is the Chief Science Officer at Quartet. As a co-host on the podcast today, we have again David Moe. David is a psychiatrist at Mass Gen Health. In addition to that, he is the co-founder at Valera Health. How is everybody doing? We're doing great. Good. Thanks for bringing us together. Hey, no worries. There's three Davids on the call here, so we'll be saying both first names and the last names just to let the listeners know here. But to start things off, or David Wenberg, uh, can you give us a brief introduction on you and how you found mental health and quartet? Sure, Dave. My pleasure. So uh, this is David Wenberg from Quartet. I'm by training. I'm a physician and health services researcher, uh, but I've been on a variety of different entrepreneurial sides for the last uh, almost 20 years. Uh, first with a company called Health Dialogue, which was uh, did a lot of work with population health and shared decision making. Uh, and then I, uh, after uh, leaving Health Dialogue, after we were bought by a large and a global company. I stayed on for a few years post-acquisition, and then I and then I started a small ACO infrastructure company, uh, which had a lot of uh, promise and actually really good analytics and technology um, uh, in the northern New England region. Uh, it was owned by f- uh, five nonprofits, and at, at at the time when we were really trying to figure out whether we scale or not, we uh, uh, they were would prefer to have that folded into their operations. So I helped fold into operations and started looking around for for my next opportunity. Uh, and I came to Quartet really first and foremost through uh, on the mission side. Uh, you know, Quartet's primary premise is to create virtual collaborative care, connecting primary care physicians, patients, and behavioral health providers uh, in a virtual collaborative care uh, uh, space, so that they can create common care plans and support uh, patients through comp- you know difficult times and get get better care. And uh, one of my family members um, had actually. Fell into the it fell into the sort of chasm between physical and behavioral health uh, that we're trying to really address. She uh, was fu- highly functioning uh, from a professional standpoint, had some overlying behavioral health conditions, was seeing psychiatric care at that time, um, and uh, basically didn't have written directions about how to how to. Uh, withdrawal from one of her medications, David Moore would know, probably know quite well which that was. It's a fairly uh, strong anxiolytic. And uh, she heard, let's stop on Tuesday. I'm sure the psychiatrist said, and tapered over the following X numbers of days. Uh, no written directions, no uh, communication back and forth to a primary care physician. So my daughter, being a list driver, just stopped taking the medications. She went through pretty severe um, withdrawal syndromes. Uh, tried to get in touch with her psychiatrist, and unlike Dr. Mo, uh, this person was not very responsive to his patient, uh, and she was pretty in pretty far far down withdrawal syndromes from this thing. Called me up and said, "Dad, I need a plan," and that's not something you want to hear from your kid. Uh, so I called the psychiatrist, left a voicemail saying, "This is Dr. Wenberg calling about one of your patients, my daughter." And literally 15 minutes later, he called me back, and uh, everything was fine. But recognizing that not everybody has a physician as a father or a mother, uh, there's got to be a, and I figured there has to be a better way of addressing this chasm between behavioral health and physical health. And so I 
started looking around, uh, was introduced to Quartet through Annie Lamont, who was one of our series, led our Series A investment round. Um, Annie had invested in Health Dialogue as well. And with that introduction, I met Arun and the team. I had that personal experience. I loved the, the approach we were taking to solving a really big problem that the tech forward opportunity I thought was the right way to address this, this space. And I jumped on and I have to say, I've never worked harder and I've never had more fun since I joined Quartet more than two years ago. That's fantastic, uh, David. And thanks for sharing your story. It's always inspiring to hear how uh, um, a personal story can get you to do something to change, uh, change the status quo. Um, for there are listeners who might not know what the collaborative care model, can you describe uh, that for us? And maybe, uh, maybe what some of the biggest challenges that patients uh, face, and how the collaborative care model might uh, might change that. Exactly. That I mean, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that, David. Um, so essentially, the collaborative care model, uh, <laughs> the premise of the collaborative care model is that treating the mind and body together actually is a good idea. Go figure, right? Uh, but the ironic aspect of the way healthcare is organized is that for a whole variety of professional reasons, training issues, organizational issues, that there is basically almost no connection between those uh, phys- uh, providers who are working on the physical health side, you know, your primary care physicians who's taking care of your, uh, getting your shots for Influ- for, for, you know, for influenza and things like that, or treating your diabetes, et cetera. And the providers that are available to treat patients who have anxiety, depression, substance use, substance use disorder, or other um, mental health conditions, there's like no connection there. And despite the, the, um, that, the, the uh, really acce- fairly accelerated mergers and acquisitions that's happened between different physicians and hospitals and, and types of care on the physical health side, that has completely left behind the behavioral health side. Um, that's sort of the way the world works right now. The collaborative care model specifically, David, is that there has been over 30 years of research that have shown that when you treat patients holistically, that is combining their physical needs and their behavioral needs in a common environment, uh, remarkable things happen. And I say that in quotations, but actually it's true that patients get much better functionally Um, their ability to work and interact and thrive is much greater. And they also have the side benefit of the fact that because they are more aware and able to navigate this complex healthcare system, they also tend to use the emergency room and hospital much less frequently than they do if they're not treated as a mind-body connection. So there's lots of evidence, lots of good studies. But what's happened is that less than 10% of primary care physicians across the country have any approximation of collaborative care. And furthermore, those that do often have what I would call co-located care, that is that they have mental health providers physically located within a primary care practice. But in those practices, often the true collaborative care model doesn't work. They're both working their silos in the same space, but they're actually not creating common care plans. (laughs) So the reason I think what we're here to do essentially is to figure out how you can scale that core clinical model, that combining of physical health, mental health, and patients in a common way can be scaled in a environment where people don't communicate, where the behavioral health providers for the most part, and Mass General obviously is an exception, um, are disaggregated small practices, don't work together, 
Uh, and that's sort of the perfect space for tech to step into. There's no data about the providers that are out there. You can't even figure out whether the, you know Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones treats substance use disorder or, or depression and anxiety. Like that's not really part of the information. Furthermore, there's no information about uh, language that they speak. There's no information about quality or efficiency. Um, and there's no collaboration across that. So Quartet's focus and drive is to create virtual collaborative care, which mm -hmm. is essentially a platform which has data, collaboration, and communication at its core. And that's the, that's the way we're approaching this, 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 yeah. this big problem. And David, one of the things I've, uh, that really struck me when I entered the field was that, uh, like you're saying, collaborative care has so much data supporting it, right? There's so many randomized control studies that demonstrate that it's effective, it provides better care, and that it's cheaper uh, for providers and uh, payers uh, to get on board. And yet, for so many years, uh, the market hasn't allowed uh, for startups uh, like Quartet to take advantage of this. So uh, tell us a little bit about what has changed that causes blossoming of investment in the mental health space within the last couple of years? Yeah, great, great question, David. So the, there's a few things. The first, I think, is um, because of the Mental Health Parity Act, which was enacted before the Affordable Care Act, but actually got much more accelerated in terms of implementation. I think there was a, a, a raising of the, of the policy from a policy perspective and a clinical perspective and an insurance perspective about the importance of treating mental health and, and uh, physical health on, par on parity. The second thing I think is that uh, there has been a lot of attempts to improve care coordination, care population management, health management, disease management, et cetera. And many of those things have sort of run out of steam. Uh, and, and I mean, obviously we're biased, but I think one of the reasons they kind of run out of steam is because they, they, like everything else, recreated in the disease management environment, the physical health silo between mental health and physical health. Mm -hmm. And the last part, I think, is a recognition, a general, this is more of a gut sense, uh, David, than it is really a, I don't have data to prove on this one, is that I think that there has been a, a path towards destigmatization de de of mental and behavioral health conditions. And so people, parents, kids, grandparents are actually more, much more open to talking about their mental and behavioral health challenges. And with that destigmatization, they're open for new models. And then I think the last acceleration that's happened is, uh, while I'm sort of disappointed and frustrated about the slow progress to value-based care, I think there's been enough publicity and enough early onroads to that that primary care physicians have recognized the path that they're on from that perspective. And the data clearly identifies the fact that if you don't address mental and behavioral health, you're actually going to be at great risk in a value-based environment. And so there's a business reason on the provider side. The payers are actually starting to move towards more parity. And the population is now, um, I think, really primed for doing something innovative because of the sort of general destigmatization that's occurred. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for those insights, and that, I think that's certainly true. The payers getting on board is is so key, and uh, for the longest time, they've been carving out mental health and substance use to, uh, to to contain costs. But it's kind of counterintuitive, right? The fact that if you spend more upfront on preventative health or psychiatric outpatient care, that you would actually reap 
the benefits of that uh, later on on a population level. So it's not intuitive where the benefit is, but now that there's more data, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're moving that way. Uh, so tell us about Quartet. Uh, what do you do uh, specifically? Give us a case of uh, what uh, what has worked so far um, and what, what some of the challenges may be. Sure. Great, great. Very happy to do that. So Quartet is a, um, is a, is a uh, technology company really focusing on popula population health with a behavioral health focus or population health with a behavioral health focus. Um, and so we really are looking at total population and, address and identifying those people within the population that are most have the biggest opportunity to improve their functional uh, status and decrease cost from the standpoint of their overall total cost of care and total functional status component. We, um, we, we have the somewhat luxury of, of having partnerships on both the provider side and on the payer side. Uh, and I'm, and I'm teeing that up now, Dave, David, before mm -hmm. I get into what we do, because I'm going to give you a couple case studies around one of both flavors. Mm -hmm. um, and at its essence, we have, we have data, which I, helps us identify those people who are most in need of good behavioral health care. Those data are also used to identify which primary care physicians and usual care physicians we actually are implementing now with oncology as well. Those which have the biggest opportunity to improve um, their pa patients' uh, health by addressing the mental health and behavioral health side. The data are also used to identify from a very, what I would call a very open, broad approach to behavioral health networks, which providers do what specific type of care, how high, how are how good are they from a quality perspective, and how efficient are they in getting patients better and reducing overuse of acute care services in the ER and hospital side? And then the data, are, and then the, um, the can I ask users, about that really quickly? So sure, you, Dave, you have please. that information about the providers on the outpatient side. We do, and we get that data from from really from two primary sources, and then a supplementary third source. So we use in in both primary and both provider or relationships we have and with payer relationships, we have access to either full population or large proportions of the population's data from the claims perspective. And then in the provider segment, we have detailed information from electronic medical record, which are used for both identifying providers as well as identifying the risks of the patient side, Dave. So we have data. We're very, very rich from a data perspective. And that's before we start getting data from the platform, which I'll talk about in a sec. Uh, and that's so the, fantastic. I just want to say that that's really fantastic. You know, one part of this is, uh, and this is for psychiatry, but certainly for medicine at large, is that you don't know the quality of the physician that you go to. Uh, you associate that person with the maybe the organization that they're part of, but certainly, uh, as we all know, there's quite a range. Um, and uh, you know, really looking into the data and figuring out what they're, how how good they are, uh, could certainly help you uh, mix and match uh, patients accordingly. So that, that's exactly. that's great. And we're going to get to that magic part specifically in a sec. But you're right. I mean, and and as as little as information there is on the physical health side, on the traditional medical side, there's literally zero information on the behavioral health side. Uh -huh. So uh, those data, then, so we identify patients and and we identify opportunities in PCP, and then we really segment the behavioral health provider side, and then we on the sort of what what does it actually look like on a day to day basis? We have three products. We have a primary care, usual care, physical health provider application. We have a patient application and we have a behavioral health provider application. And the functionality of the applications, they all, they all sit on the same data platform so that there is, you know, we have 
longitudinal patient information, we have longitudinal provider information, and the intersection of the two. Um, and the application on the PCP side, and I'm going to use PCP just because most people think about primary care physicians, but when I th say that, really think about usual care. So it may be your oncologist if you have cancer who's taking care of you longitudinally and you have mental health issues. It may be your pulmonary doc if you have lung con conditions, or it may be a cardiologist if you have heart conditions who are doing your longitudinal care. But I'll use the overarching name of PCP. On the PCP side, um, we, bit, we have uh, uh, created what we call uh, roles so that it's really a care team. It's not an individual primary care physician, but it's his or her team that is in that application with specific uh, access to data appropriate to their role in the practice. Uh, we suggest patients to the uh, primary care team, which we call through something we call smart map, uh, smart screen rather. And the smart screen really identifies those at risk members that I talked about that we're identifying within the data. The primary care physician sort of from a workflow piece can do, there's a couple things they actually, and I'm going to talk about them. There's a longitudinal piece. The first one is that they can request a curbside consult. So what's, I think what people don't realize and, and David, well, you should, you should chime in if I hit the numbers right, but 60 to 70% of mental and behavioral health are actually treated, treated by primary care physicians. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll speak as a former primary care physician that as an internist, I was not very well trained for that. Uh, so I knew how to give the first line antidepressant or anxiolytic, but if that drug didn't work, I was sort of out of luck. And so we have this concept of curbside consult, which really grows out of the way physicians interact with each other when they're seeking advice about specific issues, which basically allows that primary care physician to reach out virtually to a psychiatrist who would then call that person back within 30 to 90 minutes and give advice. Primarily, this is around medication management issues. Uh, and Dave, if you need me to use different recupero for a lay audience, I'd be happy to, to use a different language, but basically helping primary care physicians figure out whether they should use a different drug, increase the dose of that drug, or combine that drug with something else. And it allows quick advice to the primary care physician about common issues they're facing in the, in the primary care setting. Mm -hmm. um, the more common thing we do is, is referral to behavioral health services. And that can be done really through two work streams. If somebody shows up in the office who is despondent, um, that's an important component to that aspect, uh, to that patient, they, I mean, to the provider, they can actually refer on to that, for, to the platform. Uh, and I'll tell you what happens, say what happens in a second on that side. Uh, the other thing is that we also suggest patients through our predictive analytics who are in highlight need of, of care and that suggested patients allows the PCPs to proactively get ahead of that person's needs and, and really reach out and get that stuff done. In either case, when they've done that referral, that creates a work stream that sends a uh, registration event to the patient who then is asked to do an assessment. And we use standard depression, anxiety, and substance use disorders uh, measurement tools to, to identify how you know, specifically which of the three conditions those person that person has and how impacted they are by that condition. It also creates what, uh, what we call our smart match opportunity. So coming back to David, what you talked about, this ability to match up patient needs with behavioral health, uh, with a supply of care that's out there, that specifically happens. We call it smart match. It's a machine learning algorithm that takes what we know about the, the person who's being referred in and takes what we know about the the supply, the supply of behavioral health services, which includes 
uh, see uh, online CBT as well as teletherapy as, and face-to-face -face care and matches that person to the most appropriate provider. That one-to-one -one match then goes off to the behavioral health provider side. Um, and on the behavioral health side, you can think about this as really a practice management software that allows them to uh, contact, register, and, uh, and keep updates on patient progress and baseline characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's what we call our collaborative space. So let's say that, that the behavioral health provider, because we've done a really good job of curating that patient, sending to the, to the appropriate provider, they accept that provider, they get their first baseline um, visit. Uh, that then is prompts the, the uh, behavioral health provider, the platform prompts the behavioral health provider to create a, basically a treatment plan. That treatment plan is simple. No, it doesn't, it's not like, it's not the nuances and it's not the stuff that's talked behind screen doors, but it's basically, I saw this person, here's my diagnosis, here's my recommended treatment plan. That goes back into what we call our collaborative space. And that is a space that is shared between the behavioral health team and the primary care team so that they can create, adjust, and follow a common care plan with the patient and with a patient at the center so that patient can get the right care at the right time. Things can be adjusted. And we track progress over time by repeating the appropriate assessment at 30 days and again at, uh, at 60 days to make sure that they're on the right path and to, and to see that this is actually working from that perspective. <laughs> and on the patient side, that application really is both for assessment, for notifications, to really keep them going towards getting to care. A lot of times patients, even if there, is a if there isn't a problem with stigma, they're impaired by their anxiety depression. And so they need something to help them nudge them further along for that path. Um, it also allows in certain applications for people to select specific care on their own that they want to do from that perspective. Although the predominant workflow and path is for combined patient, primary care, and BHP altogether that we work to the application. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of in a nutshell is, is what we do and how we've approached it. The, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Fun. Yeah. I will. You know, one thing I'll say is uh, it feels uh, very comprehensive and you've thought about uh, how each of the different pieces interact with each other. Uh, you know, as you know, as a fellow entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges we have is motivating primary care doctors to get involved in anything to change their workflow because you guys are so busy. And psychiatrists on the other side, can they log into a tech platform and can they do this? Uh, so I'm wondering uh, how, uh, first of all, there is one login. It sounds like it's separate from the ERMR system. Am I right about that? Good. So that's a good question. So the answer is it depends on the use case. So right now, the, most of our users are outside of the EMR, uh, David, but we are actually in Pittsburgh and now with our launch of Sutter actually integrating with their, uh, within their EHRs. Uh, primarily in two areas, that is on referral side and on information coming back forth. The collaborative space isn't a full quote-unquote integration, it's really an API call so we can maintain that user interface, which I won't make any comments about EHRs, but in general they're not really <laughs> great user interfaces and they're not really designed from the user's perspective. <laughs> uh, and so we don't want to be subject to, the, to that from the EHR side. Um, and that's, but even when we're not integrated, we've actually not had, and I'll tell you, I was, that was not my one big question when I joined Quartet is like, because I had just done this big ACO play with people who had just implemented one of the market leaders and quote unquote in the HRs and the PCPs were downtrodden and beaten. And I was really worried about getting people to use it. Uh, I've been wonderfully 
surprised that about our traction on the PCP side. And that's interesting enough with the plan as well as with the provider partnerships. And I think it's because we're solving a big problem. It's an intuitive interface that's very simple to use. <laughs> and it's not always needed by to be done by the primary care physician. In fact, 70% of the interactions is not by the, piece, by, the, by the physician themselves, it's somebody on the care team. And although the physician tends to work primarily within their EHR, that front office is in multiple systems all the time, checking eligibility, looking for claims uh, processing, et cetera. And for them, what we've found is we, we, because they had no system to refer to BHPs, we've gone, we've actually made that front office uh, workflow simpler there. And when the front office is happy, the primary care physicians are more happy. And so that's actually sort of the way we've worked around that other, that problem that you're raising, that you're raising. Got it. Got it. This is this is really good, and you know, it's really heartening to hear as well. I can tell you at Mass General, we are doing this thing where uh, we're basically integrating. We're trying to do collaborative care by bringing us a mental health specialist uh, and implanting that person within primary care clinics. And the first thought was, well, are they going to be undersubscribed, oversubscribed? They are, like you say completely oversubscribed because yeah. there is this demand to refer to behavioral health and you know the 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 challenge of calling a psychiatrist paging a psychiatrist and then waiting for a call a day later is just too hard and so yeah. having something there and what you guys are doing is bringing this to the next step and making it virtual even even easier and so i, I think that's really fantastic um it give us a sense of um what maybe a, a case that you guys are most proud of where some of the data is most re, uh, most robust, What where are you moving the needle? Uh, which variables are you changing for the patients at the end of the day? Yeah, that's a great, great question, David. So I think, and actually there, there was a really nice profile of a, of a, of a, of a patient uh, in Pittsburgh that has been published. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember where that's been published, but we can talk about that later on. It's a great case study. It's somebody who had been struggling with behavioral health for a long time, um, and it was basically unable to really do what he really wants to do. And through his primary care physician, uh, the uh, it was an amazing story of this person getting to the right care. It was uh, getting to the right care at the right time, uh, and. His testimonial, which was in U.S. News and World Report, we'll send that to you as a quick follow-up, mm -hmm. um, was is like from a from a heart standpoint and from a patient standpoint was, a, was like that's why we're here. I mean, mm -hmm. he basically said that he moved from being unable and overwhelmingly overburdened by his condition that impacted both his ability to work as well as ability to interact with his partners and friends and colleagues and uh, family uh, to one and and being sort of unable to ask the question because of stigma to being able to get to the care he wants and his, his, his care and that pathway has dramatically improved that piece. We have testimonials actually also from primary care physicians in the same market who basically said we were suffering before. I mean, my pa our patients were suffering and we were suffering on that standpoint. Uh, and they just, the, the workflow and the ability to get people quickly to care at the right level and right care was a big deal. Um, and then the, the from from the payer perspective, and I can't yet say who this specifically is because we're not there. We're not ready to publish it, David. Mm -hmm. um, but we have actually shown really strong early results in terms of uh, reducing the ER and hospital use by people with co with co concurrent physical and, and behavioral health conditions. Right. Um, 
not because we're denying care, not because we're directing care to different sites, but really because we're helping people get better. And if they're better from their mental and behavioral health, they don't um, end up in the emergency room as often because, and a lot of the time, you know, 30 to 40% of people who are in the emergency room are there, who are in the emergency room have a, a, a mental health condition. Uh, often it's not the reason that they're there, from a sort of clinical perspective, but if you can improve that uh, their depression and anxiety, the, the result is that they're much able, much better able to navigate the care system, and they don't go to the emergency room as often. And so it seems to be right now, and we're playing out. And again, you know, we're early in our journey, but right now the thesis looks really strong. Patients get better. Primary care physicians like what we use, and those that are paying for the care are pretty happy because we're decreasing the overall cost of care. That's fantastic. And that's usually the last piece that you say is really the uh, biggest obstacle. And I think the uh, uh, the highest barrier for people, for entrepreneurs to to cross. Uh, often they can help the patients, often providers are happy, but uh, you can't uh, show ROI with the payers and the payers are really king in this space. And so that's that's fantastic that you have data to, uh, to support that. Yeah, we're um, very excited about it. What, what are some of the challenges uh, that you faced uh, uh, doing this. Uh, you yeah. really are a trailblazer in this in this space. Uh, so uh, I'm sure there are uh, a number of uh, uh, surprises, uh, perhaps some pleasant and some uh, less so. Nah, everything's been perfect so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's not no, a poor I mean, meeting. <laughs> now the challenges, you know, are, you know, that we, if it wasn't a really hard problem, there wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be here. I mean, somebody else would have solved this and made it simple. Um, but it's a big, it's a, big hairy problem we're trying to do. And to be blunt, you know, we're at the beginning of our journey. You know, we're, we feel really good about where, where we are, given what we know, but our aspirations are really to, to reach millions of people across the country. So I think the challenges, I think, from, from, the, from, from our, in a variety of different areas. I think that, that ironically, or maybe interestingly, or maybe not ironically, the tech side is not the challenge. Um, we have a great team, and we've recruited unbelievable uh, people uh, from on the engineering team and the product team and the design team, so that the ability to build scalable tech is, is not our challenge. I think the biggest challenges we have is that you know, healthcare is incredibly complex, large industry, many many different points of view and inherent interest in that group, which makes it very complicated to navigate. So, really getting the attention of the key decision makers and the and then coming back to something you alluded to that you know the primary care team is really brutalized i think maybe that's too strong a word but they're feeling downtrodden mm -hmm. and getting them to realize that this is an opportunity to make their life better and make their patients much better um, it takes a while to get there and not everybody's receptive mm -hmm. and so i i think our biggest challenges are really on the change you know basically helping steer this uh, I don't know whether it's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge, it's a, uh, um, aircraft carrier, or you can pick your favorite analogy, but it's a big, slow thing that we're trying to, to do with lots of conflicts of interest and inherent, uh, conflicts from that perspective. That's the biggest challenge. I get that. Um, yeah. And then I think you, you provided a very important insight, especially for our listeners who are entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, I think often what happens is you get some tech wizards who feel like, well, if 
healthcare providers or investors were just able to create the next most beautiful app, uh, they would solve this healthcare problem. And what you said that tech is actually the easy part. Uh, it's more of a commodity. You can actually come up with good tech and that's just a small percentage of the solution. I think that's going to be super key for uh, for entrepreneurs to understand uh, moving into this space. Um, and uh, certainly getting the, the attention of these key stakeholders will be, will be a, um, a severe uh, challenge. And I wonder, uh, who are your best allies? I'm wondering when you go to providers and when you go to payers and you have good data, let's say, to show that you're you're saving the money, uh, what's the friction point after that? It feels to me that they would say, well, this could save us money in, in the short term. And I guess maybe relatedly, what is the time horizon uh, at the point at which you begin to save money? Is it six good. months? Is it a year? Is it 18 months? Good questions. So I, mean, I think that the, you know everybody's busy. And so just cra- you know breaking through the noise that's out there. And there are a lot of people you know, this is the in the mental health area now. It's a burgeoning tech space. Uh, although I will say, and I know I'm I know I'm biased about this. Most of the tech focus right now is on the app side, mm-hmm. uh, or and so not really on the, you know we not really on the sort of full integrated platform component. Which I think, if you're really going to get this done, you have to do that side. Again, I'm biased, but that's what I think. You know, I I came here with a lot of experience in both entrepreneur side on the entrepreneurial side, and on the healthcare delivery side. And I think you have to think about this these. Uh, not so well coordinated pieces coming together. Um, so one is just getting through the noise. The second thing is that there's a lot of other people pitching things that are out there. Uh, there's the whole EHR side on the provider side who's promising everything and delivering half or less of what they promise. Uh, and then there's always the challenge of fighting for scarce resources. Um, so, you know, we're two years in. We've, we're now in um, five markets. Uh, we'll be launching our sixth market one one and probably our seventh market two one. Um, mm-hmm. So we're getting through that piece, David. I know you know we're breaking through pretty well, mm-hmm. and success does beget success. So if you look at you know our, our our breakthroughs recently, we're much we're much more accelerated from that perspective. It feels really good, and I like the fact that we actually have um, a business model to support the mission, which actually is a great perspective from that standpoint. Specifically to your question about time frame, you know, we, we saw our, our early uh, results were at nine months, uh, which was a little bit earlier than, honestly, as a scientist, I expected to see it, uh, but pleasantly so. And this, the thesis works really well in terms of increasing behavioral health uh, ambulatory services and decreasing ER hospital side. Um, as every month that's going forward, it's getting much stronger. So I, when we think about this and we talk to potential partners, we say we're looking to break even. Uh, at 12 months. And then Got it. Got because it. of the engagement strategies, it's it's a very accelerated engagement strategy. The return on investment is not a linear relationship. It's actually a, a multiplicative relationship because of the pull through, the time frame, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the uh, return on investment by the end of the second year looks to be two and a half to three and a half. And beyond that, it gets fairly large. I won't say what it is, but it, it gets quite large. Got it. Got it. Excellent. And then uh, just to give us a sense, how many patients total in the five markets that you're in right now would you say, let's say, have interacted through the uh, Quartet platform? Well, I'm a little bit hesitant to give you the exact number, but I'll just say it's measured in the tens of thousands. How's that? <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. And you know, as a physician, I must ask, uh, this is certainly something that physicians want to get, want to work on. Um, but the obvious thing, and it's certainly true for Valera as well, is that this 
changes the workflow, especially yeah. for, let's say, the psychiatrist, right? For the, uh, for the PCPs, they can put in a referral. Uh, for the psychiatrist, tell me how that changes their workflow and uh, how were you able to get psychiatrists? Are these psychiatrists within the health system? Uh, and how do you get them on board? How do you convince them to go through this quite different uh, uh, system of delivery? Yeah, good question, David. It, it actually varies a bit. So uh, in, for example, Stewart Health or Sutter Health, a lot of psychiatrists are within those two uh, entities. <laughs> Uh, the key piece we're adding actually is all the non-MDs for that perspective. You know, they don't have any outside availability of social workers or uh, counselors and things like that. We do supplement for specific, uh, particularly around substance use disorders, uh, for both of those partners, in which have combinations of psychiatrists and other counselors of, of all of that. Um, ironically, the area here is they're they're less worried about the change in workflow than making sure that we match them higher up than uh, non. Sutter or, or, or uh, Steward psychiatrist, and that's part of the matching algorithm. Uh, in the non, um, in the in the plan partnerships that we have, they tend are most of the psychiatrists that we have are not in large integrated delivery systems. They tend to be uh, psychiatrists that are part of solo or, or smaller practices, or in in what I would call larger behavioral health practices with multi-specialty providers, but not associated with one of the big delivery systems. As you know, David, well, is that that behavioral health, even psychiatrists, are still have not been subject to the same uh, vertical and horizontal integration that's happened for most of other medical side. Um, Some, there is some, but there's still a lot of people that are outside of that, unlike PCPs or a lot of now medical specialists and surgeons that have become part of that vertical horizontal integration. So there's a lot of psychiatrists that sit outside of that. For them, been as big a lift. I mean, the bigger lift, honestly, on the workflow is is the ch- or the biggest challenge. Excuse me, is more on the PCP side who have gone through EHR implementation than these other practices. Got it. Got it. This is uh, fantastic work, and I, you know, I'll say that uh, to get something so complex and bringing in expertise from so many different domains, tech on one side, policy on the other side, understanding uh, payers, uh, understanding the providers, understanding patients. That's uh, that's quite a feat to organize uh, a company around that. Uh, tell us about the culture of the company. How do you make this work? How do you bridge these different disciplines uh, uh, in New York when you're in the office? Yeah, so I will just say upfront that, and I sort of said it before, is like is that I've never worked as hard or had as much fun as I as I do yeah. here at Quartet. Um, it's a it, it, I, we do, we have great what I think is a really value driven culture. Uh, you know, we have, we have four principal values around collaboration, around seeking excellence, around we before we we before me, uh, and the humbleness about our, which our is our mission is to really make you know su- su- to help people in our in in the, to thrive through for, through integrated behavioral and mental health care. Uh, that mission is a big driver of our company. Um, and mm-hmm. so despite the fact that we come from various, uh, disciplines, in fact, a lot of our tech people, in, fa- in fact, most of our tech side have never been in healthcare before. And not only have they not been in healthcare tech, so they're also pretty young. So they haven't had a, the luxury of interacting with a lot of the healthcare system other than with their PCP side. Um, and so I, th- I think that the reason why I feel like this culture of this company is really strong is that the key driving force for all those different exper- people with all those different experience is that mission. Uh, mm-hmm. We have town hall every week. We, that town hall starts with a mission moment, which talks about somebody here or somebody outside 
is, is being helped and focused on what we're doing. That really is a key driver. And so I would say we set a high bar for excellence, but that high bar is driven by a very mission focus. Uh, and that's really what keeps us as a really cohesive team working well, well together. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, it, it's so heartening to hear that people are working on this in a more comprehensive way and not putting on Band-Aids and, and that the machinery that's solving this problem really comes from values uh, rather than bottom line. So I, I wish you the best of success. Um, I'm going to hand it over to uh, uh, David uh, right now. David Recupero. That would be David number one. <laughs> David number one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for that, guys. That was great. Well, to close out here, once, thanks again for your time, David uh, Wenberg. And one last question here is, how has the politics of healthcare affected you? Uh, that's a good question to end with, uh, David. Um, I think that, you know, I won't tell about my personal opinion about what's going on, but I will speak specifically to the business, uh, to the business implications. And uh, interestingly enough, it's not had much of an impact Uh Despite the turmoil that's going on about repeal and replace, fix uh, the fixed affordable care, act, et cetera, I think there's now a broad recognition on the public payers, pay, the, the, the private payers, the employers, and the providers that addressing mental health is important under almost any of those, of whatever the scenarios that are going to spin out. And so we, you know, I was worried about. Um, a pause hiccup at 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 at, at best, and more uh, and potentially a bigger hit when the Affordable Care Act repeal and replace stuff came on, um, just because uncertainty makes people slow up in the decision making process. It's had zero impact on our on our on our progress with our partnership, uh, and I think it really it really reflects the core underlying value proposition and the and the huge opportunity we have to make people better and reduce ER and hospital use, which is really the driving force that sort of over that overarches regardless of what the paying pay the, the insurance model is going to happen. Well, that's great to hear. Well, uh, that finishes it up on behalf of David Moe and I we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the podcast here. And I know all of our listeners really enjoy it. Well, really appreciate both David and David inviting us to come here and we look forward to follow up and tell you how things are going in six to nine months. We love that. Take care, everybody. Best of luck. Take care. That's the episode. If you'd like to learn more about Quartet Health, you can find them at quartethealth.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the Tech and Mental Health podcast, you can find us at techandmentalhealth.com. Thanks for listening.